God, we do pause and give you praise for your word. Lord, we're just so thankful that it is true and authoritative. God, we thank you that we can rest our whole entire lives upon your word. Lord, as we approach this issue of suffering, God, this is an issue that is not just theoretical, but it's deeply personal for us. And so, Lord, we turn to you, the God who is sovereign over it all, and we pray, God, that you would give us a big view of who you are. God, we need a massive view of you. We need you to be strong and bigger than our pain and suffering. And so, God, give us wisdom to be able to discern this text. God, help us to think rightly about this issue of suffering, that it might glorify you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up uh, playing basketball for uh, the majority of my life, I developed different friendships and relationships with uh, players from the opposing teams. And I developed friendships with all kinds of different people, people who believed the same things as I did and people who did not believe the same things that I did. And there was one friendship that I had with um, a guy named Dan who I literally like competed against basically my entire life. And we had a, a really close friendship uh, throughout middle school, throughout high school, and even into college. And Dan knew exactly where I stood as it relates to Christianity. And I knew exactly where he stood. And one time we got together for lunch in college and I felt the Lord just leading me to just be a little bit more direct with where Dan was with Jesus. And so I just asked him straight up, I said, Dan, we've been talking about Jesus for years now. Like, what are you going to do with Jesus? Like, do you believe in him? Are you going to follow him? Or do you not believe in Jesus? And I, I kind of went for it there because sometimes in our um, in our view of relational evangelism, it's hard to actually get there. You know, we're building, building, building. And so there are moments when you do need to kind of get to uh, the gospel. And his response was, you know, Chris, you've been talking for years about this God who is so loving, who's so good, and yet I cannot have a relationship with a God who allows suffering to exist in this world. Like, I just, I can't believe that he's real. And if, if he is real, I just, I don't, I want nothing to do with him. And I asked him to explain more of that because it kind of came out of nowhere with our friendship. And he shared with me that one of his friends actually passed away in a car accident from a drunk driver. And so for my friend and for many of you and the conversations that you've had with people who have responded with the same thing, like this issue today is deeply personal. Like, this is not just some theoretical, philosophical issue. And I think what's underneath all of this is this line of reasoning, that if God is good, if he really is loving, and if he really is all-powerful, then why does he allow suffering and evil to exist in the world? Okay, it's a good, it's a good question. It's a good issue to, to wrestle with. And so this morning, I, I wanna answer two main questions as it relates to the issue of suffering in this world, okay? The first question that I'm gonna answer is, who is God? Like, how do, we, how do we view God, specifically as it relates to suffering and the things that we experience in our lives? We gotta start with who he is. And then the second question that we'll answer the second half of the sermon is, what's the purpose of suffering? Like, we know that suffering is real, and we know that he's good and he's loving, so why, why does he allow it in, in our lives to exist? Okay, so those are the two main questions. Let's look at the first one. Who is 
God. And I wanna give us three aspects of who God is that I think is really helpful to think about why suffering exists in our world. So I'm gonna be jumping around different passages here before we get to Ecclesiastes chapter three. Okay, so the first aspect of who God is that I think is really helpful is to know that God's perspective is limitless. God's perspective is limitless. Isaiah chapter 46, verses nine through 11 says this. It says, this is God speaking. It says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose and I will do it. So this first aspect that God's perspective is limitless is so important as we wrestle with this issue of suffering. See, what God is saying here in Isaiah chapter 46 is God is separating himself from all of creation. God is saying, I stand on top of time and I see the past, I see the present, and I see the future, and I see it all at once. That's that's God's perspective. That's his viewpoint on the world. Now, that's a very different viewpoint than what you and I have. Like for us in this life, we might be able to live uh, to be 90 or maybe 100 years old, right? That's a very limited viewpoint on life. I know for me, like I'm, I'm 30 years old, got a limited amount of experience in this life, very limited viewpoint, and I, I maybe know what tomorrow holds for me. Like I, I think I know what tomorrow holds for me. Like I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna work out, I'm gonna spend some time with the Lord, I'm gonna head to work, have a full day of work, get home, have dinner, play with my girls, spend time with my family, and then go to bed. I think that's what's gonna happen tomorrow, but I don't know. Like, anything could happen. Like, my viewpoint is so limited. And yet what Isaiah here, Isaiah chapter 46 is telling us is that God doesn't just see a moment. He sees every moment, including the moments that will never happen, and he sees them all at once, Okay, so God's perspective is limitless. This is a God who is sovereign, who is in control. Nothing surprises him, nothing takes him off guard, including the suffering and evil in this world. And Isaiah 46, in fact, says that he has a purpose and he will accomplish it. So not even the suffering in this world will thwart his purposes and his plan. That's the first aspect of God that we need to keep in mind as we, as we talk about this issue of suffering. Here's number two, is that God knows us intimately. God knows us intimately. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, we read this. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is also really helpful as we think about this issue of suffering because we not only have this God who stands on top of time, whose perspective is limitless, 
but we also have a God who is intimately aware of every detail of our lives. That we have a God who is personally involved in the exact makeup of our bodies and our personalities and our frame. That we have a God who knitted us together in our mother's womb, who intimately knows you and intimately knows me. That he was intentional with all of it. And look, God didn't make a mistake. God made you exactly how you are, and he was intentional with that. And so I think that's, I think it's helpful to keep in mind as we think about how to process suffering and how to, and how to view God, that he's not this distant, far-off, sovereign king who doesn't know anything about our lives, but no, he's intimately involved in us. So number, that's number two. Number three here, the third aspect is that God's sovereignty is endless. His sovereignty is endless. I love this passage in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. We learn about what God's sovereignty exactly covers. How sovereign is God? And so it says, it says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, and listen to this, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Okay, so we've got this God whose perspective is limitless, stands on top of time, knows us intimately, and yet his sovereignty stretches over that includes the time period and the place in which you and I live. That's how sovereign he is. That means billions and billions and billions of years ago, God determined that Chris Beals would be born 1987 in Columbus, Ohio. That's how sovereign he is. He knew 2018, Chris Beals would be living in Fishers, Indiana. That God's sovereignty covers the experiences and the situations that you and I go through. That they're not random, they're not coincidental, they don't just happen, but they come from the hand of God. Look, sometimes we, we view the doctrine of God's sovereignty as like this, this trump card to lay down in some theological debate to kind of show how smart we are to win an argument. And yet that's largely not how scripture talks about the sovereignty of God. It talks about the sovereignty of God as more of a, of a warm blanket to our souls in the midst of suffering. It comforts us, it shows that this is from a loving God. So I wanted to point out those three aspects of, of who God is to kind of give us the right lens to view God as, as we experience suffering in this world. Okay, so now flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter three and let's look at these first eight verses for a moment. As you're turning over there, I know we're just kind of jumping in in the middle of this book. So Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes and he's trying to answer the major question of what is the purpose of life? Okay, this is coming from a man who is the most wise man that's ever lived, probably one of the richest mans that ever lived, he had all kinds of pleasures to, to pursue. He had uh, many, many uh, kinds of, of women and wives. And yet he's wrestling with what is the purpose of life? Why am I here? And then he gets to chapter three of Ecclesiastes and he writes these, these eight verses 
And what he's trying to do, he's trying to capture every kind of experience known to man. Now, this list is written in a way to be exhaustive. He's trying to say, what, 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 what are things, what are realities that every single one of us uh, might experience? And so he writes this list. Uh, typically, when Ecclesiastes chapter three is being talked about, it's almost talked about in a way of, these are just kind of the cards that you're dealt with in life. Uh, these are things that just happen to you. Okay, like if you, uh, if you remember the band, The Birds, in the 1960s, so everybody under the age of 40 has no idea what I'm talking about, that's okay. But they wrote a song called Turn, 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 and they used Ecclesiastes chapter three for part of their lyrics. And in that song, the way that they talk about these different things, these different seasons of our lives is, these are just things that happen to us. These are things that the ups and downs of life just kind of happen to us almost coincidentally and that we all experience them. And I just wanna push back on that based on what we know about God, especially these first three aspects. These are not just things that happen to us, but I believe that out of God's sovereignty, these are the ingredients of life that God sends into our lives. That if these are ingredients God is going to mix some of the flour and some of the sugar in our lives based on his perfect knowledge of us, based on his eternal wisdom, based on his, on his perfect sovereignty, his endless sovereignty. Out of that, he's going to send these different ingredients into our lives, which includes suffering. And I don't know about you, but that makes me uncomfortable. Like, I, I don't like that. Like, I would much prefer this list to be more of a buffet. Like I wish I could just kind of pick and choose what I like from this list and throw out the rest. Like I, I would love just to take, you know, some laughing, I'll take some loving, uh, I'll take some healing, I'll take some dancing, but probably not too much because I went to a Southern Baptist seminary. But I would just like to pick and choose here. And I think if you were honest, you would probably want to do something similar. And yet that's not really how it works. Because the reality is, even if we could pick and choose from this list, you and I would not choose correctly. Like our vision is too limited. We're standing too close. We don't have the perspective that God has. We would choose wrongly. And I think what God would say to us is, look, I, I love you way too much to ever let that happen. Because we all know that the people who are never stretched, the people who never go through pain and suffering and different trials, they end up being people who are very self-centered and self-focused. And what God is saying is, I love you way too much to let that happen. And so if these are ingredients, God is going to send us, he's gonna mix some of the flour and some of the sugar out of his sovereignty and out of his perfect knowledge of who we are. Like I don't know anybody who likes to eat flour straight up, but I know a lot of people that like to eat cake. And so out of these realities, he sends them into our lives. Now, when you get to verse nine here, Solomon asks a very helpful question. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? In other words, Solomon's wondering, well, what's the purpose of all this? Why should I work? Why should I live? Like if these are ingredients that God sends our way and it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter if you're white or black, it doesn't matter if you're tall or short, like you're, you're gonna experience the different ingredients of life. Someone's like, well, then what's the point of this? And it's a valid question. 
fact, it's the second question I want to address for the rest of our time together. What's the purpose of experiencing suffering in our lives? Like we know God's sovereign. We know he's good. We know that everything that happens is for his glory, okay? And for some of us, you're like, okay, that's all I need to know. Like he's sovereign. He's working this out for his glory. I'm good. Like some of us are wired that way to just trust. Others of us are probably more curious, well, how does suffering give him glory? Like how, does, how exactly does that work out? And so he doesn't leave us hanging here. In verse 11, he's gonna give us three purposes for why we experience suffering in this world. Okay, this reminds me of, um, in college, I went to Cedarville. And at Cedarville, Cedarville University is surrounded by cornfields. And I remember one time I was driving home and just driving through the cornfields, trying to find Cedarville, trying to get back to my dorm room. And I was probably on my way back from a Taco Bell run, just to be honest with you. And it was pitch black. Like I you know, couldn't see well, I had my lights on, and then it starts raining. It starts pouring down rain. And I'm like, man, this is, this is getting really difficult to see. And then this fog started to settle in. And I'm like, man, I, I need to pull over. Like I can barely see the road. I couldn't see the white line. And I'm thinking, I can't pull over. It's a two-lane road. We're out in the cornfields here. If I pull over, someone's gonna hit me from behind. And so I'm like driving, and all of a sudden, I, this, this truck is in front of me. I caught up to this truck. And typically, I get frustrated when a truck's in front of me because now I have to go to the speed limit. But this truck was a gift because I could see his taillights. And I'm like, man, if I can just see his taillights, I know I'm headed in the right direction. Like, I don't need to see everything else. I just need to keep my focus on the taillights in front of me. I share that with you because I think that's a, that's a helpful perspective as we think about suffering and, and tragedy and sorrow and how to make sense of it. Look, we may not know every little detail of why suffering comes into our lives, but I do believe there are some biblical truths that can illuminate some points of light for us that can drive us into a deeper relationship with the Lord and not give us a reason to disbelieve. Okay, there are some things in scriptures, more than just three, but I see three here in Ecclesiastes chapter three that can almost shine a light in the midst of darkness that suffering can sometimes provide. Okay, so three purposes in verse 11 of why suffering. Okay, here's the first one. First one, Solomon says that beauty will come in his timing. Beauty will come in his timing. In verse 11, he says he has made everything, okay, everything in verses one through eight, beautiful in its time. This is part of the reason why God sends the flour and the sugar into the bowl of our lives. He's mixing it together in order to create something beautiful and in order to create something good in our lives, but it's in his timing. Last year, my wife and I had the privilege of standing on this stage uh, with our second uh, daughter, Lila, and was able to dedicate her before you and before the Lord. And for us, that was just a, a beautiful moment uh, to be able to experience that. And yet, if I was honest with you today, like, it hasn't always been beautiful for us. If, if, you, know, um, if you know part of our story is that a, a large part of our marriage, we uh, wrestled with infertility and several years of, um, of just not being able to have any children. And it actually led to uh, being able to adopt our oldest daughter, Ellie. And we had 
three different fertility specialists say that it's, it's not gonna happen on your own biologically. And we had, we just had a lot of dark moments over the years, just wrestling with, with the why questions, wrestling with God of, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And infertility is like one of those things that's really hard to wrestle with because it, it's, it's hard to explain, it's hard to talk about, and it's really not talked about a whole lot. And I, I just remember we were wrestling with the Lord, asking a lot of questions that Job asked the Lord, just asking him questions out of frustration, out of desperation, out of confusion. Just, God, why are you allowing this? How, how are you gonna make good come from this? Remember, we just, we just were just clinging to the promises of God. I remember one time I had my Bible open to Romans 8.28 and just a powerful promise that God will work out all things for the good of those who love him and are called to his purpose. I remember as a pastor, just like staring at that verse and in that moment, just asking the Lord, really? Like, really, you're gonna use this for my good? Like, like how, how are you going to use this? Like, is there gonna be some type of miracle in our lives here? Like, and just, just wrestling with the Lord and, and trying to cling to him, but just having a hard time seeing the purpose behind it all. And during those years and during those seasons, just, felt the Lord just speaking back to me, speaking back to us, saying, Chris, do you, do you really trust me? <laughs> like, do you trust me that even if I send you an ingredient of life that is painful, that you don't have all the answers to, are you still going to trust me that I'm enough for you and that I'm gonna make this beautiful in my timing? And look, that, that's really the question. Like when you get down to it, when you're going through suffering, that is the question that you have to wrestle with. Like, is God really enough for you? Do you really trust in him? Even when you don't have all the answers, even when you can't figure out the why, are you going to trust that he will make this beautiful in his timing, whether on this side of heaven or the other side of heaven? Like I know that some of you are going through things right now, just season of suffering that we have no answers to. Some of you are going through incredible amounts of pain and sorrow and just no idea why this is happening. I know some of you are just ready to give up on the Lord, like ready just to throw in the towel. You're saying to me, I, I didn't sign up for this. Like, this is too hard. I, I can't reconcile a loving God allowing this to happen in my life. And look, if I could just plead with you this morning and just encourage you, don't give up now. Don't throw in the towel. You're, you're gonna miss the beauty of Romans 8, 28, that he will work this out for your good and for his glory. Don't give up now. To press into him, to look to him, to cling to his promises and to trust that he will make this beautiful in his timing. Okay, I appreciate John Piper's illustration on, on suffering, his analogy here, I think is really helpful. He talks about how sometimes we view God in the midst of suffering as the ambulance, that God kind of comes in after the wreckage, after the suffering, he didn't know about it, and he's there to, to minister and to help clean up the mess. And, and Piper says that we should actually view God more as the loving surgeon, that everything, everything comes from his, from his hands, and he's a, he's a loving God and there might be some pain, but God is after our good. He's after our, 
our restoration and our healing, he's, he's gonna make this beautiful in his timing. Like I just think that we're, we're so often on the human side of time where we're just unable to see and understand how he's gonna make be- this beautiful in his timing. We can't see well enough. Like I, I know I've got things in my own life. I'm five, six, 10 years removed from, and I still don't know, still wrestle. I'm like, how, how is he gonna make that beautiful? I, I don't know. And I know you've got things in your own life wrestling with the same thing. And I just, I just sense the Lord just speaking back to me saying, Chris, you're too close. Like you don't see well enough. You're, you're too close to the jagged glass. You can't stand back far enough to see this beautiful picture of how he's gonna turn it for my good. You're gonna have to trust me. And I think that's what it really comes down to it, that out of God's perfect sovereignty, out of his eternal wisdom, out of his incredible knowledge of who we are, he sends these ingredients into our lives and and in that we can rest and we can trust that he will make this beautiful. So I believe that's part of the purpose of suffering. Number two here, second purpose that Solomon highlights for us is that Suffering has a way of exposing our soul-craving desire for God. Verse 11, still, he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. And so out of God's sovereignty, out of his perfect knowledge of us and his eternal wisdom, he sends us the ingredient of pain and sorrow and suffering largely to show us that we were made for another world that this world is not our home, that God has put eternity into man's heart. And so we have this God-sized hole, this God-sized void in our souls. And sometimes we try to fill that with having the perfect career or having the perfect relationship or having the perfect set of ingredients. And part of the purpose of suffering is to show us that we were made for eternity with God in heaven forever and ever that we were made for a world in which there will be no suffering, there will be no more pain, there will be no crying and, and weeping, that there will come a day in which we will be with God forever and ever, and there will be an end to the pain and the suffering in the world. And suffering has a way of like shielding our hearts from filling that void with all kinds of other things. Look, if you're like me, sometimes I wanna fill that void with, with having a, a reason why suffering's in my life. Like I think to myself, if I, if I can know why, then I'll be satisfied in God. And, and suffering has a way of saying, no, 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 only God can fill that void. Love what C.S. Lewis says, famous quote by him. He says that if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I think suffering gets right at that and exposes this this eternity-type craving desire that we have that we need to fill with the Lord Jesus. Look, if you're here today and and you're not a Christian and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here and you're a seeker or you're a skeptic and you're kind of wrestling with some of these issues, look, we want you to know that you were made to have a relationship with God I want you to know that God has wired you in a way to crave eternity, to crave being with God forever and ever. Look, I just wanna encourage you, like 
there is a gap between you and God. And that gap is, is what we call sin. And it's caused because of our disobedience. And yet the reason why we make Jesus such a big deal at this church is because Jesus filled that gap. That Jesus removed that separation between us and the Father by dying on the cross for our sins. And so if you're, if you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to know that God loves you, ferociously loves you, so much that he sent his son to die in your place in order for you to have a relationship with him. And so I just wanna just throw out this invitation for you just to, to come to faith in Jesus, to believe in Jesus and to turn from your sins. And I don't know if you're here and, and you're going through suffering right now. And I, I just wonder, is the Lord allowing the suffering in your life to bring you to Jesus? And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, I, I would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to put your faith in Jesus. I'll be down here in the front after the service would love to have that conversation with you. But this is part of, I think the purpose of suffering is to drive us into the person and the work of who Jesus is. Number three, the last purpose I think that Solomon points out here in verse 11 is that suffering reminds us that he is God and we are not. That he is God and we are not. It says in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time, also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, I dislike this third point here. Like, I, I want to figure God out completely. And yet, part of the purpose of suffering is that to show us that we will never be able to figure out God completely that God has orchestrated thing, things in this life and, and according to his plan that we will never know fully. And I don't like that. Like I want God to fit in my neat categories. Like I want God to fit into my system of theology. Like I, I want to trust in a God that is predictable. Like that's, that's better for me. I want for once God to just follow my equation for life. Like my equation for life is A, if I do what is right, plus B, if I avoid some of the major sins, then that'll equal C, I get to pick and choose what I want from this list of, of verses one through eight. Like that's, that's my equation for life. And I want for God, for once for God to fit into that equation. And yet part of the purpose of suffering, I know for me, is that God like reveals the facts that I'm always trying to shrink him into my equation. Like I'm always trying to make him small enough to fit into my neat categories so that I can either understand him fully or that I can control him. And look, that's not what I need in the midst of suffering. And that's not what you need in the midst of suffering is to figure God out completely. What we need more than anything is to have a God who is so massive, who is so much bigger than our finite minds, because you and I, we can't see clear enough of why he's doing what he is doing. I think one of our core problems in the midst of pain and suffering is that we don't think of God as that much bigger than us. Like we might think of God as a slightly smarter version than us, and we sometimes like it that way. We, we feel like we can, 
predict God or manage God or know everything about God. Some of the mystery related to God and suffering really makes us uncomfortable. And we think like either God is hiding something from us or like I'm just not smart enough to know and it's hard to live within that tension. So what we tend to do is we tend to shrink him down to fit into our neat categories. And, and what that does, it, it creates two problems for us in the midst of suffering. One problem is that we remove suffering from being part of his sovereignty. Like we can't reconcile God being good, powerful, and suffering, so let's just remove this from his control. It's one problem. The second problem is we wanna shrink him down so that we can understand every purpose and every reason why suffering comes into our lives. That we think, with our finite minds, we can actually understand an infinitely wise king. And so what we'll tend to do is shrink him down, and yet that is not the God in the Bible. That's not the kind of God that we see in Scripture. God is not small. He's not manageable. God is not predictable. God is not someone that we can control. But what we see in the scriptures is that God is big. He's bigger than big. He's bigger than any type of word that we can use to describe big. He's actually impossible to fully comprehend and to fully describe. He defies our abilities to categorize him or even to talk about him rightly. And look, here's the irony. The irony in all of this is only a God like that who is that big, is capable of explaining life's mysteries, who is capable of walking beside us in the midst of pain and suffering, who is capable of giving us a real sense of purpose in this world. That we need a massive, huge God in order to rightly walk through pain and suffering. It's like what the, the British philosopher Evelyn Underhill famously said, said that a God that is small enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshiped. In other words, like if you have a God that you can fully understand, that, that fits into your categories, you don't have God anymore. Like God is infinite, God is bigger than what our minds can comprehend, and that is the rub in the midst of suffering and pain, and it stretches our faith and it stretches our trust. Look, if his wisdom is as high above mine as his power is above mine, then the most rational conclusion is that there will be some things beyond my immediate ability to understand. And it's entirely possible that God has beautiful purposes that he's working out that I just can't see right now or understand. Bart Ehrman, who's a New Testament scholar at the University of North Carolina, He's a New Testament scholar, but ironically, he lost his faith a few years ago. It's interesting to read some of the interviews that, um, that have been conducted with him as he talks about his transition into atheism. But he talks about how um, the reason why he lost his faith is because of the presence of purposeless evil. And it's interesting to talk about like evil having no purpose. It, just kind of thinking about that category, it's I think it's a huge assumption to make to claim that evil has no purpose. Like, if there is a purpose, then we'd be wise enough to fully detect it. Like, it's, I think it's quite arrogant of us to think that, 
that we, with our limited knowledge, would be able to perceive every purpose of an intimately wise God. And so for him, it, it created a crisis of faith that led him away from believing in God. And yet for me personally, like I, I just keep coming back to the cross. Like I think the cross is such a, a beautiful example of the worst kind of suffering that ever took place. I mean, you have the perfect son of God who was completely innocent and yet died, was tortured and died under God's sovereignty. That happened with God still on the throne. And I look to the cross because I may not know every reason why there's pain and suffering in my life, but I look to the cross because the cross shows me what pain and suffering can't mean. That it can't mean that God is not in control or that God is absent. See, if if there was ever a time in which it seemed like God was not in control or that God was absent, it would be at the cross. I mean, imagine what Mary must have felt like as she's watching Jesus die right before her, thinking, God, why are you allowing this to happen, this great suffering, this great evil? And yet it was in those moments that God was doing some of his most amazing work. See, God orchestrated that moment out of his sovereignty. He used evil and suffering to save and redeem mankind, to save and redeem the very people who were nailing his son, Jesus, to the cross. So look, think about this for a moment. If God can take the worst circumstances imaginable and turn it into the best situation possible, can he not take your suffering and your pain and make good come from it and make beauty come out of it? If he can use the cross into something that results in the salvation of the world, can he not use your suffering in your life? See, I think that's what God is doing in our pain and in our suffering. It might feel like a dark night in the soul, but God is at work making things good, turning things out in your life that you may not see right now, that you may not understand, that you're forced to trust him. Look, just keep placing your eyes and your focus on Jesus. Look to Jesus who stood in your place, who entered into pain and your suffering, who took death for you. And now he stands victoriously by your side, promising you that one day you'll stand with him eternally. I'm exhorting you to look to Jesus because when you see the beauty of Christ, you stop asking the why and you start trusting the who. And sometimes we, we think that all we need is an explanation of suffering. God, just explain this to me and then I'll trust you. But what we need more than anything is a revelation of a God who is so massive, who is so big, who can use the mess of suffering in our lives and turn it into something good, and who is loving and faithful enough who promises to do just that. And so a deeper understanding of God, not an explanation of suffering, is what God gives to us, and it is enough. Look, as I close today, I don't know what you might be going through this morning. I don't know if today, if this is something that is fiercely personal for you, if this is just hitting you right between the eyes, if this isn't just philosophical, this is something that you're going through right now and and you're hearing me exhort you to 
to look to Jesus and you're thinking to yourself, I, I can't even look up at God. I, I can't even pray. Like there's, there's too much pain. There, there, there are too many questions. Like I'm, I'm mad at God. And look, if that's you this morning, I just want to exhort you just, just for your application today to move from a position of, of holding your suffering this tightly of trying to control it, trying to figure out all of the why behind your suffering, trying to wrestle through all of the questions and to move from this and to move to that, where you just kind of let go of trying to figure out God and you just rest in the fact that God is sovereign, that God has an eternal wisdom, that God knows you intimately, he knows exactly how you're wired, and out of that, he is sending pain and suffering into your life, but he promises to make beauty come from it. He promises that he will make all things new, either this side of heaven or the next. And so if you're here today, mad at God, just allow the spirit of Christ just to move in you into a position of this, to rest in who he is and to turn to the promises of God. Because we close, we've got uh, one more song to sing today. We're gonna sing, He Will Hold Me Fast. We just wanna sing some of the rich theology of who God is. We wanna sing that deep into our souls today. And we've done this before where we just kind of use this area as a place for, for others just to come down towards the front and just kneel and pray and just to lay your heart out before God. And maybe you're here today and this is personal for you. You're going through suffering and you just wanna hit the floor and just to cry out to the Lord, just to, just to say, say some things to the Lord like Job said, just ask him some questions, but end with the sense of God, but I trust you. No, this is painful. God, this hurts. I don't have all the answers, but I will trust you that you are enough. We just want to invite you to come down to the front. Or if you know somebody that's in your life that's going through pain and suffering, and you want to use this time to intercede for them and to pray for them, you can come down to the front as well. And look, church, as people come down to the front, if you're an elder or staff or on small, a small group leader, or if you're just a Christian, like, and you see somebody coming down to the front and they're by themselves, or they're just praying by themselves, why don't you join them? and just put your hand on their shoulder and just pray for them. Let's not let anybody just come down here by themselves. Or if you're going through suffering and it's too scary to come down by yourself, grab the person next to you and say, hey, can you come with me? Can you pray with me as we go and seek the Lord together? Okay, so I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna stand and sing and seek the Lord together. God, thank you so much that you are a personal God, that you are here with us and that you are for us. God, we thank you that the sufferings in this life come through your hands. God, we thank you that our enemy cannot thwart your plan and your purposes for them. And yet, God, we live in this tension of it hurts, we don't understand why, and yet we trust you that you're good. And so, God, in that gap and in that tension, would you give us faith to believe? God, help us to run to you, we pray in Jesus' name.